You are listening to the Got Game University podcast. This podcast puts you in the classroom and lets you learn from some of the best hunters and callers in the woods. Hi, this is Taylor and Ryan with Got Game Tech. Got Game Tech is a software development company that builds mobile apps that teach hunters how to call and hunt different animals. Oh, this is Taylor Tibbetts with the Got Game University podcast. Today we're out at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, set up shop at the Acubo booth and here with uh, my good buddy Jeff Moran with Built for the Hunt. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, doing good, man. Thanks for making time to step onto the podcast. Yeah, this, uh, well, luckily I don't have a booth at this expo, so I just get to run around and have some fun. Yeah, so. well, I know it's hard to hard to get too far in this place without running into somebody that you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, somebody's <laughs> going to walk up during this podcast. Yeah, well, that'll be, we'll, we'll call them out when that happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just go away, please. Yeah, right. No. No, we wanted to have you on the podcast for a couple of reasons. You know, one, we've been doing a listener series for for our Elk Nut series on the podcast where we talk about people's 2019 archery elk hunts. Okay. And uh, I've been following along on your Instagram, and we've talked a few times, and I know you just killed a great bull and had a a really good experience this year. And so we wanted to talk about your elk hunt, then we'll talk a little bit maybe about about built for the hunt and what your goals are this year and, and ways okay. that our listeners can support you in that but um, let's break let's break that hunt down so um, kind of start us from the beginning maybe how you planned it prepared for it and then we'll kind of go day to day encounter to encounter um yeah i guess man that hunt so technically i've been uh, i'm originally from idaho or from the boise area and then i've moved away for a while but i've always since i was a kid one of the places that I, i've always hunted the same kind of areas for everything and that that specific hunt if archery elk hunt i've been doing for a little over 10 years okay so it's an over-the-counter tag it's something that anybody can pick up which yeah i, I don't want to flood my area but it's right. gonna happen right um but it's not easy to get into it's really rough rugged terrain and depending on you have to kind of judge the year based on the weather and and uh the pressure and everything else and even know where they're at because right. they're gonna they're gonna vary in elevation from four thousand feet to eight thousand feet and, and uh no nah, it's a huge yeah. change yeah so just it, it depends on each area so we go in i don't scout or anything which kind of blows people's mind but generally i can see multiple miles without so you let the glass do the yeah work so for i you. primarily i go in and i'll sit on the top and i'll glass all day for one or two days just to get a feel for where I'm going at, what the elk are doing, what the cows are doing, um, if there's bulls running around. Because there's multiple different stages, obviously. we Everybody should know that, hopefully. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so when we, we'll get in there and we'll spend the first two days just glassing. And I'll usually set aside seven to 10 days. So you do an early part of the month, end of the month, shoot for no, the middle? Most of the time I show up around the 15th. Okay, yeah, I'll we're talking September here, right? Yep. Yeah. So most of the time I'll show up around the 15th, but it seems like the rut's been getting a little bit later and later every year, which makes it difficult. But uh, we got there this year, and and what's crazy is I'm used to seeing 20, 30, 40 head a day, and we didn't see hardly anything. Really? We saw, after the first three days, we'd see more bear than we'd seen elk, which is really tough for me, and it was... It was tough for the entire hunt for us to, because we took cameramen in there to film oh, it right. yeah. and everything. And uh, so it was uh, it was unique because I hadn't run into that issue ever before in that right. unit. So it made it a lot more of a challenge. And we were seeing we were seeing some elk, but we were up at 8,000 feet. And I think some days they were down like 4,300, okay. 4,700. Yeah. Hunt more hunting pressure or predator pressure or just tough to know? You know, I don't think there was very many. There, there's not a whole lot of predator issues in yeah. there other than bear okay and we're not cutting any wolf tracks mm-hmm. thankfully 
Um, we do cut some cat tracks, right. but they, <clears throat> I think there was, there's quite a bit of people up on top okay. and they've gotten used to it the last few years because people will go up there and they'll drive up on the main roads, which this is unlike most areas because we're always starting at the very top. That's right. where the roads are and you got to drop down which makes it difficult at night trying to get out. Oh yeah, trying to hike back <laughs> up, oh gosh. And uh, yeah, you don't realize how far you go in there until later that afternoon. But um, <clears throat> I think they've gotten so used to so much pressure up on the very top and people don't want to dive down to them. So they're just getting farther yep, and farther they just the bottom. Push down, stay down. Yeah, and then there's there's the cliff's edge at, at about uh, 3,500 feet and then it drops down to the river okay. on some sides yeah. and other sides it just drops into cliffs and everything else you can't get oh, down. Sketchy, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it was difficult because you couldn't hear them. If they're far enough down in there, you have the wind ripping through the canyons and the mountains right, and everything just swirling. That sound. Right. And so we we kind of had to play it by ear. And at one point in time, we we packed in and and uh, just watched to see what we could see moving around. And the bulls weren't with cows when we started, so it's that whole pecking order thing. Right. Yep. It's so they're doing their thing. bugles all day. Right. And uh, luckily, it's it's a little bit more open terrain, so we didn't. We could kind of have an idea where we were going, but that was probably more hiking than I've done in 10 years in there. <laughs> and you had your whole crew in yeah, there. Yeah, had a camera crew in there. like, man, Jeff, what did you take? Well, we had a camera, the camera guy, Caleb, he did great. He's part of the company and everything, but he, uh, he he's from Kansas City. Okay, so he's a flatlander. Yeah, he's never, <laughs> he's never seen it. He killed, now he he did take out a 197 inch mule deer buck this year in oh, Utah. Awesome. I watched that video yeah. the other day. Did I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, that's but him. man, that was a great deer. Yeah, he. They, well, they had no idea when they shot him that they, he was they near that was, big. Right? They thought he was a mainframe four, like 160. I could kind of sense that, and then they take it back and score it on the back of the truck, and they're yeah. like, "Dude, this is almost a 200-inch deer." Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he uh, he's a pretty deer actually. Uh, we talk about a pressured yeah pressured area. <laughs> yeah, Hunters yeah. all over the place in there, yeah. right? That deer landed, and there was guys like 10 feet from that deer when he landed. That yeah. was great, but. Yeah, so Caleb, I mean, that's that area in Utah that was kind of like rolling hills where they were at. Mm -hmm. It's high elevation, but to take him into, I mean, some of that, that Frank Church and, oh, yeah, and those kind of areas. You're giving up and gaining thousands of vertical feet. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. He was, I mean, nobody's ever really ready for it. Right. Every time I drive up there, every year I get up to the top and I'm like, man, what am I doing? Oh, boy. Myself? Here we yeah, go. It hurts. Yeah. This is going to hurt. I'm getting older. It's not getting easier. <laughs> More gray hair by the day. And I'm yeah, if the elk nut were here, he'd be like, come on, man. Because he's like 60, 60 something. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, I complain. I'm in yeah. my 30s. <laughs> yeah, he'll be like, just wait. Yeah, so we we actually, the funny thing is, is the very first day, and this is, I guess this is probably something for listeners to think about too, is the very first day I went up to the spot, and I get kind of bored hunting this spot because I've killed multiple bulls in the same area. Right. Like four of my last five bulls have gone down within 500 yards of each other. Really? And it's kind of one of those honey holes that I just get bored of. I don't want to go in there anymore. But uh, we got up there to the top and I bugled the very first morning and a bull ripped off from underneath me. And I, I say on camera and on the film, I was like, yeah, he's, he just sounds like a baby. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go up there or I'm not going to drop down 3000 feet to get to him. Cause I, he, he's not big enough sure and that's the bull that shot but when we'll get into that in a minute but yeah so i i said no i'm not going to drive down into there and go look for him i didn't there was another bull in there too that sounded a little bit bigger but neither one of them sounded anything 
a, I, if they were a six point, I was I was gonna guess not a chance. Really, just sounded like. And so a I said, no, we're not gonna go there, in huh? there. And we actually packed. We went around to the other side, and we packed back in like over ten or twelve miles on foot. Oh yeah. And because I knew, well, I knew there was a bull in there that I was looking for specifically. That was in the three sixty three seventy five range, and I we couldn't find him. But yeah, it was it was one of those things where they're just really high pitched, loud, and I was like, "There's no way he's worth even chasing." Right. Not not for this film time, not for everything else. And I had had a really difficult like um, personal life throughout the year, and so trying to get back in there, right, right. I wanted something big yeah. for a change because I was like the five point king. Sure. <laughs> for a while, it was like. It was hey, like hung my butt off every yeah. year and then put punch, down a five point at the end. Punching your tags hard, oh, yeah. hard work, man. Yeah, my ex-wife, I would have if I would have brought home a tag for for dinner, it wouldn't have worked. So, <laughs> so oh, not with that kind of money. Yeah, yeah spend yeah. on those things. Yeah, so. I hear you. So you're looking for a bigger class bull. So you pass on what you heard down there. You hike right. way in somewhere else where you thought there the big bull would be. Well, so what's interesting is I've. For as, since I was a little kid, I remember going up to these areas and we would sit there and look at like mountain goats mm -hmm. from where I was hunting at. And it was always kind of like, there was this one ridge line like four miles away and you could always get the binos out and there would always be a big bull with a whole bunch of cows running around on these ridge lines every single year. And you know it wasn't the same bull. Right. After years and years, they, they're gonna change over. But it was always my dream to go back in there. Right. And you can't, I couldn't go back in there by myself. It's too far. I wouldn't, I'd have to call a helicopter to get out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I have two people, there's me and another guy. Yeah, I was like, like this yeah, is my chance. I'm, I'm going to go in. back in there. Yeah. Right? And we get back in there and uh, we see some tracks, but there's no, no cows, no bulls, no nothing. We can't find anything. And I, so we camped up high and we dropped down, we dropped down like 3000 feet and we're looking, or, 2,500 feet and we're looking around and the elk are still a thousand feet below us and the only thing I can see is a handful of cows and a couple like random raghorn five points right and that this meadow that is like my dream scenario of my whole life doesn't have anything in it we get down there to the meadow I bugled one like a locator bugle and and uh, I heard one rip off underneath us and then out pops this big black bear and then that was it we didn't we stayed in there three days and mind you the entire time like this, it had started raining the first day that we got there, and this is, it didn't stop. Oh, it rained no. the whole time. Yeah. And that, that terrain Another that element. Area, yeah. yeah. So you, if there's anything that I'm going to be a giant baby about, it's going to be rain. It's being soaking wet. Yep. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have decent gear, but my boots just, you're, there's no stopping it. Yeah. It yeah at matter. some point, yeah, just they stay wet. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we, we couldn't get anything to talk. And I think we heard we heard a couple, but it was whether or not we wanted to risk it dropping down to 4,000 feet and having to get out of there. And if you put one down that's big enough, and I mean, I always have a helicopter on call, but yeah, <laughs> which right. is kind of in crazy. that country, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was it was tough because cow calls weren't working, bugles we weren't hearing anything, right? And it we didn't like I said we weren't seeing hardly anything, and it was. It makes it difficult when you're in an area that you're used to seeing that many elk and, and uh, couldn't get them to talk, couldn't get them to do anything. Right. So this was probably by like day five, we backed out. We packed all the way back out. <clears throat> we went all the way back around to base camp. And that's when we spotted, we spotted one smaller five with a herd, okay. like six cows, seven cows. And we could get him to talk. Mm -hmm. But we, the later we got, this is probably September, 19th by this okay. time right 
and but there still wasn't very many bulls running around. We weren't getting anything to answer back, and uh, so that was, that was the thing that we were dealing with the entire time was we couldn't get anything to talk, and right. the, the wind and everything cuts it down. Um, so you're and, hunting them like deer a little bit. Yeah, just trying to much. find them. Yeah, and we did get into a couple different spots where we could hear we could hear bulls talking, but then it was kind of in the mornings or overnight they were coming up closer right. towards the top right. and then they were dropping quick bombing down yeah huh? <clears throat> so it, you almost had to get underneath them and beat them to the bottom okay and uh that made it tough because yeah. at, in the dark in that kind of terrain it's dangerous it's, yeah, yeah it is dangerous. at one point in time so my my uh the cameraman we were trying to climb out of this like cliff thing and he looks over at me he's like dude if our mothers knew what we were doing right now <laughs> so uh yeah it was not it wasn't easy but we were having to drop down underneath them because we we could we could start to tell by their bugles and everything what they were doing in the mornings right right so yeah it's just kind of you gotta you gotta play the winds and play the thermals yeah play the cards you dealt yeah. yeah and when you're in when you're in that kind of train you can't really play the wind mm -hmm. it's just up and down there's no walking around swirling here. on you and, yeah so just hope that you don't smell too bad <laughs> are you i mean at, at that point i mean probably not packing scent masking stuff and... no not usually so one of the tricks that i always do is i'll pull um i'll pull pine needles off and i'll rub them between my hands mm -hmm. like a lot and then i'll put the pine needles that are all broken and mangled and mashed, I'll put them in a plastic bag. Okay. Or like a Ziploc baggie. And that's, and I'll get them out when I get a little bit closer. And we'll rub them all over like your shirt yeah, and hats natural and everything. Masking, yeah, man. so that's about okay. the only thing I can do. And I, it's worked a lot. Covered at least some of that video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, too. And having decent like gear as far as like the scent and mm -hmm. everything else. And we'll try to walk. I mean, it was raining the whole time too. So that's oh, keeping a lot of your scent down. Keeping those scents down too, right. Which helps, but yeah yeah so it was uh it was difficult to figure out what stage of the rut they were in because mm -hmm. we were seeing groups of cows by themselves right so and the bulls maybe they, seemed like they were still kind of establishing their pecking order hadn't right. really started herding up yet right and there was nothing aggressive we never heard a single like bugle that was actually aggressive yeah no, just some advertising no lip ball no bugles. nothing yeah <laughs> which isn't normal for right. that time for that time of the month right especially with the moon phases uh-huh sure. yeah so, right the moon the what was the full moon was right in the middle of the month that was yeah <clears throat> usually they kick in really quickly after that and it gets a little gets aggressive because in years past like i had chased bulls where you had the herd bull you had 15 20 cows and then you had six or seven satellite bulls running around the year before i had chased a bull in there that was in the 360 range ah, and he bull. had yeah he there was two other bulls in that same herd that cleared 300. wow and he was running them all over the place yeah and that was a like September 22nd or something. Uh -huh. So yeah, you're getting close to that time frame. Yeah, yeah. but it was, <clears throat> I actually had a shot on that bull the very first day I went in last year and I didn't realize he was that big. His, I could only see like portion of his face and the branch sticking out the one side and I okay. couldn't, and then when he turned, else. yeah, when he, I drew back and when he, I did, I was like, I'm not shooting if he's a five on the first day, but right. I'm just one of those guys. Right. That always ends up shooting a five anyway. <laughs> and uh, but he turned his head and, and took off down the hill, and I was like, "Oh man!" Dang, should have shot blew, yeah, yeah, I blew that one. Uh, that's all good. But, uh, no, so it was from a calling standpoint, from trying to find them and everything. Pretty frustrating in that respect. Yeah, it was, and I, <clears throat> I'm the first to admit, like I tried to go in there with like a mental, 
be as like tough mentally as I can be, but when you include like the rain with the lack of elk and yeah. nobody talking, like right? I was that voice in your head starts getting louder. Oh, it was more than a voice in my head at that point. <laughs> I was speaking loudly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you start thinking about other ways that you can get to him. You see him transitioning <clears throat> from high to low, right? Instead of what typically you see going low to high, right up to right. the bedding area. But um, so you kind of formulate a plan based off of that, then? <laughs> uh, no, I got upset. We're going to be honest here on this podcast. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So I got upset and I said, you know what? That bull was bugling the very first day we got in here. We're going to go kill him. Yeah. And uh, so we went up there, went to the top. <clears throat> I went to the exact same spot that I did the first day and I ripped off a bugle and he came right back at me from okay. underneath. Yeah. And then there was, an, we thought there was another one because they were just so high pitched. It was right. just really weird. And we looked at the forecast. Now, I don't have service up there, but I run the Garmin, and you can, the right. reach will Pick tell you what's stuff. going on. Yep. And we ran the forecast, and it, it was just, like, the rain had just lifted a little bit to where it was it was supposed to be partly cloudy with 0% chance of rain. Okay. Right? So I dropped down. I was like, okay, we're just going to, it was going to be about a 2,500-foot drop. Yeah, some people call that a bonsai, right? You yeah. just bonsai off of there. And in the, <clears throat> we don't really show it in the film, but, yeah, it's it was... It's like 50 degrees straight down. Oh, You're going off the, and the tough thing is, like I've slid down on the side of that on accident by slipping and falling, and it, like I almost broke my leg a couple years ago because I couldn't stop myself from sliding. So Jeez. it's like drop straight down, and uh, we got maybe 200 feet down and start raining again. <laughs> and course. I was like, well, forecast. Yeah, yeah. the weatherman is. Right, a little off. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if that's, you need a college degree for that job, I don't get it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so we dropped down, and um, he's, we can hear him bugling back and forth, and I thought there was a couple of them in there. And with at least with the rain, everything's quiet. Right. right. And so we, we keep moving, and the camera guy is on me, and, and I can get him to talk with just a cow call. So I didn't know if there was cows with him or not, and I thought there was two bulls down in there. And then as we got a little bit closer, like I would make, I'd rip off a bugle and, and like I had my own cows right. basically. And then uh, I'd follow it up with a handful of cow calls right. and he would scream right back at me. Yeah. So he was feeling his oats a little bit then. And just, right. Yeah. But I didn't know he had cows at the time. Okay. And so I was thinking maybe he's one of these satellite bulls based on, based on the tone of his bugle and everything else. I, I was like, I could probably get him to come up. Yeah. He wouldn't come. And I, so we, we had to backtrack across and we crossed over this little ravine and we're still dropping straight down on him, but I'm trying to play the wind. Right. And he's, and then all of a sudden we get close and I don't, we were probably 150 yards out and he, I just am cow calling at that point. And then every once in a while I'd just have a, a regular bugle. Like I was trying to round up the ladies yep. and, and yep. uh, nothing crazy. And he would, call or he'd be able to write back out me and then all of a sudden we were getting closer and I you could start to hear cows okay. all around him. yeah so then it gets to the point where is this a herd bull or not and I'm gonna have to get in his wheelhouse and I'm gonna have to either challenge him or I'm gonna have to call it his ladies right and but he wasn't really aggressive so I wasn't sure yeah trying to figure out where he's at on that scale right yeah. yep and what time it is what the cat what the cows are doing those things because we hadn't we'd only seen one other bull with cows mm -hmm. the entire time so I drop down on him and I get, I actually get down. I see one cow like walking underneath me and we're trying to drop quickly. 
and I get down to about 100 yards from that one cow, and then he, he bugles. So I, I was like, I'm going to cut another 20 or 30 yards out of this, and I'm going to, I'm going to challenge him. I'm going to see what's going on. Right. And <clears throat> I did, but I wasn't in like the best position, so the bugle doesn't sound very great on film. <laughs> but I chuckled at the end of it, but it was kind of fast because I knew it was, they were moving quickly. Right. Yeah. And and then in the film, I. I Um, hey, we're we're at the show, so there's yeah we can't yeah. plan all the interactions here. So Brandon's I would back to, there playing on his yeah, phone. Yeah, take a little break there, help the customer for Acubo here. <laughs> um, they uh, so yeah, I'm dropping down, and then all of a sudden I see him in the trees, and I ranged him out at like 82. And if if ever, all conditions and everything are perfect, I, I might take that shot because right. he was broadside. He was in between the trees. He didn't see me. He didn't know what was going on. But I wanted to cut the distance so I bugled at him again thinking I'm close enough that he's gonna come check me out because right. he was right off the edge of this like yeah, little lip and in years past I've got him to come right to me at that point mm -hmm. and he he was not having any part of it and I didn't know how big I could tell through the rangefinder that he was a six okay but I couldn't tell how big I thought he's very short beams and I was like oh he's a decent six and he he just grabbed his cows and took off. Okay. Like, and I was inside of like 40 yards of one of his cows. Really? He just bugled and rounded said, them up. He said, yeah. let's go. Right. And so I did a little, <clears throat> I tried to call back at him, couldn't get him to stop. I tried to use cow calls, everything else. Right. And he was, he was gone. Okay. And so that was frustrating because I'm not used to that. When you get inside their wheelhouse at that point, <clears throat> usually you can do just about anything when you're that close. And right. he didn't, which I didn't didn't make any sense to me so that was a learning experience oh sure I mean you think there was anything else like a little wind swirl or no it was it could have been a little bit of wind but well when it gets down to it 10 minutes later we walk up a little bit on the side of the hill because I, I know that they're pushing through the trees yep and there's I see like three or four cows we don't see him but he pushed like three or four cows out and then next next thing you know the cows start coming out on this open hillside the red okay. meadow that you've probably seen pictures of and it goes, all of a sudden, it's like one cow, five cows, ten cows. Right, you're counting them up. Yeah, yeah. count them as they're going. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, the, the cows stop, and we're at 27. Oh, my gosh. There's 27 cows there, and I'm like, okay, so somebody picked me up at that point. Right. And then he comes out of the tree line, and I thought he was little. <laughs> he's not little. No. Okay. Um, he's a big He's a big six by seven, right. but he doesn't. He still short beams. Short but, beams, but a heavy. Yeah. yeah Had I shot ball. an arrow and hit him, I would have walked up to him and been like, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah. And so, the good thing is, is I've been hunting that area for so long, I know exactly what they're going to do. Right. So that's one of the things that, <clears throat> if you're gonna if you're gonna scout elk or e scout yeah. or anything like that, you got to know their escape routes. You got to kind of know where they're moving. There. Yeah. Um, and generally, I can figure it out in just about any area what what direction they're going to go, as long as you don't push them out of their bed, mm -hmm. which a lot of hunters will do. They'll just make that mistake. Too, too aggressive. Yeah, they'll kick them out in the middle of the day, and when they're bedded down, then they're going to run five miles right. and they're gone. Right. So we we backed out. We took some video and film, and and I knew that I was going to be able to catch him in a certain spot the next morning. And uh, this was day like seven now. Okay. So I'm tired. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, doesn't matter how much how good a shape you're in at that oh, point. Oh man, a week of hunting, that's tough, <laughs> yeah. So we went back the next morning, we went in at like 3 a.m. We got out, didn't get back to camp it till like midnight. And then we went in at like 3 a.m. in the dark to try and get into 
there was a, a bunch of deadfall, and I knew he was going to be on the other side of the deadfall with his cows because that's they've done it for years, and I knew where the water was. <clears throat> and we got in there that morning, and we just kind of sat around and waited until he ripped off, so I knew exactly where I was going. He did. He bugled right at about eight o'clock, and so I was like, "All right, well, let's load up." We loaded up the packs, took off. We got right in on top of his cows within an hour or 45 minutes probably. Were they transitioning to their bedding area yet or were they still kind of feeding slowly? They were just kind of feeding. I don't yeah. think, I mean, he, I don't even think they were going anywhere close they to bedding. It was yet. really yeah. weird. Mm. Um, they pretty much move all day yeah. at, in, at that point. I think it was because it was colder. Okay. Um, and the because of the rain and everything, the clouds and everything, it would keep it darker longer. Right. And there was no sun, no heat, no okay. nothing. Yeah. We're in the low 30s as far as temps go. Right, that's and, cool. Uh, so I get in on his cows and then uh, <clears throat> my impatience got the best of me. And I knew he was up He was up above his cows, but I could only see like five or six cows. I don't know where the rest of them are at right. at that point. So I'm trying to like move up this trail really quick because I know he's coming over the top. And his cows are at like 90 yards, and I'm trying to cut the distance between him and his cows. So right. he, that way he'll come. There wasn't any, the wind was actually in our favor at okay. that point. Yeah. The third, we played the thermals right, so it was coming up the canyon. And uh, I started moving, and I saw him come over the ridge, and I didn't call at that point. I'm like, I'm just not, I'm not going right. to blow a call. I should have. Hindsight's 2020 at that point. Sure. I should have just blown a couple cow calls because he came over the top of the ridge, and he was at like, 96 yards okay. and he cut down to like 87 or something like that and I and he was walking he would have came within like 50 yards you think so yeah he because he, he was going right for his group of cows underneath me and of course I got impatient so I moved a little bit and well too far I tried to cut like another 10 yards off and one of his cows picked me pegged you okay yep. she took off again and they all took off every one of them I was just like <laughs> gosh so when you blow a stock like I've never shot a big bull, so of course I'm nervous. Oh yeah. And I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and I've shot a lot of bulls, but right. when you know that they're that big, right. then it's a different oh, story. It's a game changer. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, so we actually—I knew exactly where he was going to go, or I knew where he was going to move his cows to. None of them were bedded; they were all feeding. Okay. So we we followed them around, but we dropped into the saddle that I know of, and they stayed level at, at about six thousand feet, okay. and they went all the way around this ridge and back. He went to almost the exact same spot that he was in the night before. Okay, yeah. And so we, we snuck around and of course it's like wet and cold. And we actually just sat down. We sat down and sat there all day. Just waited it out. Yep. And so, and him and the cows were walking around. We could see them about 250 yards away in the tree line. And they walked around for probably till like two o'clock. Really? And then they finally bedded. Found a bed, yeah. yeah. Which was, I mean, it's different from what you're used to. Yeah, absolutely. Because usually they're, especially when there's no satellite bulls running around, usually they're bedded quickly. Right. And uh, yeah, so we, we waited it out. And then because I was with a Midwestern dude, the Flatlander, we, we set up a little blind underneath their trail where they had been moving. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, well, let's try this out and see if he's going to push his cows back down to the water. And uh, I'm not very patient, so that doesn't work for me. Uh, and set actually, up a little ambush. Huh? Yeah, and actually, they we thought they were coming to us because he he started bugling again. I think like 5:30, um, and he came close. He he bugled, and we weren't calling at this point. I was like, you know what? I've 
kind of blown him out already. I don't know what he's doing. Right. He sounds like a child, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he does. He did. Yeah. And, and if you guys get to watch the film, yeah, you'll see it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, so I went in there with just a couple cow calls to see if I could get him to to stay still, and because he he. They came our way, and then all of a sudden he was like off in the distance, moving again. But yeah. he was just—I mean, when you got that many women running around, <laughs> he's got to keep them all like lined up, yeah, to figure out where they're going. And <clears throat> he took off on the, uh, off in the distance, and we—I was like, I'm just going to chase him at this point. We'll right. see what's going to happen. And so we we go after him, and I, I cow call every once in a while. And I could hear his cows, yeah. but I couldn't hear him. He wasn't, so he wasn't really talking. To the no, cow he call. wasn't. Yeah. And I didn't want to bugle because I didn't want to push him. Right. And at that point, you get nervous. Don't know what's going to work. Sure. And uh, and we actually, we got to a point and I was like, they, they've they got to be really close. So I looked back at my cameraman. I said, let's drop our packs. And I turned my GoPro on and we drop our packs. And I take like three steps and I look down and there's a cow right next to me. And I was like, oh, man. So I get down. I tell him to turn the camera on. And... He's not talking. They're not talking. Like I blow another cow call. Nothing's happening. And then uh, all of a sudden, my cameraman's like whistling at me. He's like, he's coming in. He's coming in from the far side. Okay. So he comes actually right, right to us, right down a trail. And um, he's so you, you weren't behind the blind anymore. You'd snuck in. For right. Your, so right. we'd got we'd gone to chase him because he was moving away, and uh, <clears throat> I wasn't going to risk trying to bugle at him. I didn't know where he was at. Right. I just knew where his cows were, and like. For all I knew, there's been a time or two where I've actually walked right into the middle of the herd. And you don't know what to do at that standpoint. Because <clears throat> if you move or call or oh, anything, totally. you risk yeah. so many eyes yeah. on you. That or you get nervous and you chirp like something. <laughs> like yeah. a bird? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But <clears throat> so all of a sudden, he comes walking down this trail line. And it's like made for TV, basically. And he stops in between these two trees and turns kind of little more than quartering towards us so and he bugles right at us and he catches the cameraman somehow yeah and he just stops and he's staring us down but i'm off to the left a little bit and so he's not looking at me he's looking at the cameraman and then all of a sudden hit all of his cows bust the whole hillside just lights up in cows. Yeah. we don't know what happened because right. we're just we're sitting there s still there's no wind no movement no nothing and uh <clears throat> I had to make a decision at that point what I was going to do because he was in range. I, I arranged him out at 56 yards. Okay. And so he, but he turns and looks at his cows and I draw back and I was like, because he was quartering towards me, I don't like that shot very much in the shoulder and the vitals. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I've taken multiple bulls with the frontal shot and most people aren't, they'll get nervous with it, but at, I feel comfortable when you're comfortable with your setup. You, yeah, you make it well, and you know where judgment. to put, where you know where to place that <clears throat> shot. I, a previous podcast we had with the elk nut, he said he's taken a bunch of elk with the frontal shot. Yeah, yeah. this was uh, I think like four or five with it. Okay, and yeah. but this is a distance, remember, fifty-six right. yards. Yeah, and, it's not like a twenty-yard post. So I had yeah. to judge the whole situation. So when he when the cows busted, he turned and you looked down at him, but there might have been cows actually above us or something like that. I don't know, but he turned and he looked right back at my cameraman. So he didn't know I was there and he wasn't moving. He was really curious as to what was going on. And so I made the decision to, to send it. Yeah. And I, I put it right down his throat and yep. it came at 55 yards. He didn't see the arrow until after it already hit him, yep. which is nice. Yep. 
and it was just a judgment call based on the, the whole situation. Some I've been at full draw and not taking that shot because I feel like something's like that. Brandon, Brandon, sorry. <laughs> and uh, popular, popular place at the show. Yeah. Well, they got the video games set up. Heck so. yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so yeah, I, I sent that arrow and and um, well, he didn't make it very far. Yeah. He actually, it was one of the the more clean like frontal shots that I'd taken, even though most people are going to question it. Yeah. So for sure. our, for our listeners though that aren't familiar with the frontal shot placement, so he's. He's not perfectly frontal. He's quartering towards just a little bit. Yep. So where did you decide to put the arrow? So I was putting it, like, I'm going to put it right between, like, where his esophagus would be and his front shoulder. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to guess it because that artery runs right down. That that main artery from the heart actually comes right up through, right behind his, like, esophagus. And if you clip it right, it, a frontal shot, you're going to get into the lungs and the heart and everything. Exactly. If you're yeah. dead on, right. but if you're not, if you're a little bit quartered to one side or the other, you're trying to get it lower at an angle to where you're going to hit the top of the heart. Okay. And but you also want to hit that. Hit that and get him bleeding. Yeah. Um, artery. Right. And so when I sent that in there, I knew you have to go. Well, I guess from the top of the back to the bottom of the chest plate, you're you're going a little bit lower too, right? Because generally, most of the elk and everything, or deer and elk, they're going to drop mm-hmm. on impact. And he didn't drop, but I still I hit him low enough to where I hit. I was above like the the sternum. Okay. And it came through, and it actually went through right there, like perfectly centered between his front shoulder and his esophagus, and then it came out. It, that arrow actually came out, out behind, behind the, that shoulder behind yeah, the, the far side shoulder. shoulder yeah so i clipped the top of the heart and actually when the arrow hit him blood shot out about four or five feet yeah so it's you just, hit that artery yeah it's just gushing everywhere and he takes off and i i didn't know i knew that the arrow was a perfect shot yeah i didn't see the actual footage or see the blood until after but my cameraman was like dude it He's was everywhere elk. yeah <clears throat> and I've actually never seen that much blood in my life. It right. was bad. Yeah. And but he was, he landed upside down because of the angle that we were at, uh, in the mountainside. And, but he he had completely bled out. There was nothing left. Wow. By the time he hit the ground, so there was no blood like out in front of him or anything. Yeah. He was upside down. Wow. So, but <clears throat> it was. I've taken multiple bulls with that shot. I feel comfortable with it. And we had um, one of our guys from Bill for the Hunt. He actually took that shot this year, and the arrow went all the way through and out the back end. Did it? A little, yep. Texas, little reverse Texas yep. heart shot? <laughs> Completely passed through everything. Yeah. And so it. Uh, now he took off, and he, the arrow was – the arrow had mostly come out the other uh-huh. side, but when he had taken off running, so he actually broke the arrow into pieces. This this elk or the other this guys? Bull. Your bull. Yep. What what kind of arrow setup did you have? So I shoot um, Victory, uh, not the TKO, Victory Vaps, like 250. Oh, yeah. And I'm shooting, the other reason I take this shot too is, is speed. So it's a 473 grains with the broadhead. Okay. And I'm shooting a prime CT5 at an 82 pound draw. Oh wow, yeah, at that packs 20, a punch. Yeah, 29 and a half inch. I think it, the arrows are coming out at about 310. Right, uh, so <clears throat> their speed, um, I know there's a lot of force and a lot of momentum with that arrow, it's heavy enough. Right. That if I hit them right, it, it, it's good. Oh, definitely. And But I'll take that frontal shot every single time if it's given to me. feeling comfortable with yeah. it, yeah. As long as you're, you're comfortable with your actual shot because I think the statistics say about, I think it's like eight or nine out of 10 frontal shots aren't recovered. 
Wow. And it, but I think or, it's because people are just rushing it. They're I, not, they don't know what the yeah, shot is. Yeah, well, they're squaring up, right? Right yeah. in the middle, which is, yeah, no good right there. Well, they'll there. shoot too high. Yeah. And they'll either shoot too high or they, the, the big thing is judging the elk and judging his attitude and what he's doing at, right. in that moment. Right. If he's not paying attention, or if he is and he's close enough, then you can take that shot. But when he's focused on something else, not you, he doesn't realize you're there. Yeah. Like I'll take that shot because he won't see the arrow coming. You got time to send a good one. Yeah. yeah. But if he now, if he were to be, have been looking at me directly, I wouldn't have shot. Yep. Because he would have turned, and I probably would have shot. Tight window. Him. Yeah. <clears throat> and the way I explain it is, it's a little bit bigger than a softball when he's quartering towards me. So you have, if you know your if you know your angles and your distance and everything right. else, because I mean, so the rangefinder said 56. He was probably closer to 61, 62. Okay. Because we're at a 50 so degree angle slope. Compensating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, that's one thing I, I preach the whole practice for angles thing yeah. because I I helped uh, a group of guys from North Carolina come out to um, Idaho once on their first elk hunt ever. I didn't go with them, but I tried to teach them everything I possibly could and when we they finally got on elk they missed two bulls in two days because oh, man. they're like they're like dude it's it's steeper than if we were shooting out of a tree stand and they're shooting at farther distance so they're just putting it right over their back every time right but right. yeah so it was um we went down there he was a six by seven with a crown he had really short beams they're like 44 inch beams but he scores a 330 wow on a public land man hunt. that's a stud public land bull yeah over the counter tag and we'll take it oh, i'll take it every time every time and i've been i mean i've been chasing big bulls for years and i can't ever i now i called i think the last two bulls i've actually just snuck into the herd and taken them out yeah just like i did this bull but i've I mean, I've called bulls in, but when I'm, I'm mostly a solo hunter. Okay. So most of my shots are going to be a, between 40 and 60 yards right. because they, they always hold up right there. They're not going to come screaming down my neck. And uh, I've called them in multiple times. Usually it has to do with the lip ball and some mm -hmm. chuckles and everything right. else. And it, if, if you're in the right stage of rut, they'll, they'll chase you down. Sure. I've, the last two years I've had a hard time with it because most of the time they have big herds and then you have to try and judge what they're doing and I didn't know he was nearly as big as he was he sounds like a baby right right and uh yeah so that was tough but man that's cool though so you <clears throat> hang your tag on a great bull and yeah after <clears throat> kind of the year that you had that had to feel great it did it was uh actually I cried so yeah. we'll be honest <laughs> most people look at like my pictures and everything and they'll be like oh that guy come on <laughs> I'm emotional sometimes oh, but, that's all uh, good man that's when you're putting in that kind of time and it means that much to you <clears throat> I will I will say from a calling standpoint when when you get them at the right time of the rut and they're really worried about their cows mm -hmm. I'll the only reason that I'll bugle or cow call is just to keep them talking in the morning so I can get in on them okay and as long as you're comfortable and know how to work the wind and the thermals and everything they're else. They're distracted worrying about their cows so yep. they're not on and the top so of I won't, I won't necessarily bugle too much unless I need to keep him up and going. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, and not very many, everybody always dreams about bugling a bull into 10 yards and it, that's not always going to be the case and sometimes you sometimes you overthink it and you overcall the situation Sure. and you make them run away which is what I did the very first night. Okay. It's because I was trying to judge it really quickly. I didn't know what was going on. Right. I didn't think he was as big as he was. Right, right. Had I known he was as big as he was, I would have, I, my calls would have been strictly, I would have been very, 
I would have acted like I was like a two-year-old bull uh -huh. and really light trying to go after one of his cows on the outskirts, something like that. I wouldn't even have paid attention to him. Yeah. Because then he would have probably came and yeah. tried to take me Ran out. Ran you off. Yeah. But it was one of those things where I wanted to try and challenge him. I tried, I got in close enough and I also didn't know he had that many cows. Right. So you have to judge the situation and, and hope that you get it right. Yeah, no, that's a great point too. It's all about reading the emotion of the bull and trying to get as much information as you can about yeah. the situation so you can make the best decision. Yeah, yeah. so. Well, it good, was, man. It was, but it was a good hunt. Yeah, it was a good yeah. one to be on film. Hopefully we actually submitted it to full draw. Oh, you did? Yep. Okay. So when I do you just, expect to hear back on that? At the end of the month, at the end of February. February, okay. Um, so March 1st, they're gonna do their selections. We haven't, we haven't finished the voiceover yet okay. because it is kind of more, <clears throat> full draw likes the really action-packed stuff and right. it, it's not necessarily action-packed film because I didn't see any elk for five days. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what? For every elk hunter out there, that, that especially the guys that are just getting started with it, right. it's like, you may not see elk. Pretty you realistic get, you experience. You may get one chance. Yeah, right. I mean, so, there's some years where I have a chance every single day, mm -hmm. and then there's some years where seven days in, I'm ready to like cry and go home. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, uh, that's elk hunting yeah. at its finest. Oh, and absolutely, man. Well, yeah, that'd be cool to fun. get it on the full draw film tour. And um, so you're gonna wait, wait until we find out whether or not to get on that before you release the film, right? Well, yeah. so if full draw takes it, yep. then they have complete 100% rights to it until okay. August 30th. Okay. So we can't show it or anything like right. that, but we can promote it being in the tour. So okay. I think they have like 72 stops or something this year. Wow. Um, so if now the footage is really good, yeah. um, I'll probably let you watch it. Hey, here. cool, man. And uh, yeah. just, we just don't tell anybody. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Minus all the people that are listening. Yeah, right. But no, we can't produce it until we can let it go on August or September 1st, we can allow people to watch it. Okay. Now, I'll already be in the backcountry in Wyoming because I have a Wyoming tag this year. Oh, right on, man. And, uh, well, hopefully. Hopefully, you got yeah. enough points I should. up. Yeah, yeah, I should, between that and spending for the special, okay. it's a general unit, yeah. but uh, we, because of the whole fitness side of my business and everything else, there's uh, an outfitter that they've been watching a bull for four years that they, they've never had a hunter in shape enough to go after. Oh, nice. So they That's little... they sent me some pictures and dropped a pin and said, good luck. Right on, and, man. Uh, <clears throat> they actually, to... they told me that where they think he lives in August and early September, they've never actually heard of a human being going back there. No so way. That's, yeah, so that's gonna be oh, fun. Yeah. So by the time this actually releases on YouTube and on the website and everything, <clears throat> I'll already be in the backcountry. So. Yeah, man. Are you gonna solo hunt that or are you gonna try to <clears throat> hunt that? You know, I think brands are gonna make me take a camera. Yeah. I think the I think Prime and Numa I think are gonna make me take a camera. Yeah. But and, I'm not sure. Yeah, well if it's a big bomber bull like that in that rugged country, it sounds like a fun hunt, man. He's in the three eighty range. So yeah. if, if I wasn't nervous before. Yeah. <laughs> man, if I didn't have an elk hunt plan that first week I'd be smitting my application to be your camera guy. Yeah, you're gonna have to find him though. <laughs> I mean they they they, I mean, not necessarily dropped me a pin. They said, look, he's he's in this range, so yeah. I have like a five square miles to okay. find him. But it's one of those things where I know how big he is, I know what he looks like, and it's it's one of us is gonna die before yeah. September 30th. <laughs> so it might be, it's probably gonna be me. Oh, geez, man. We, we have to get in shape enough to go for him. Oh, heck yeah, that's cool. Else. So it'll yeah. be, that'll be fun. And my goal would be to drop two 300 bulls in 
in the month of September this year. Yeah. But so you do your Idaho again, and then yeah, because I do the Idaho every year. Yeah. Um, I think I think actually this year we're gonna take mules in from the bottom. Okay. Um, or we'll we'll come in from the top, but we'll still drop down with mules. Right. Because I, they were just so far down in there, and you know, I, I mean, I'm in good shape and everything, but dropping three or four thousand feet a day yeah, and, and trying to get back one up. back out. And the, my biggest worry is is temperatures. Yeah. Because Idaho is not like it's not like Utah or Colorado where you're at 14,000 feet right. and it's still cold. Right. We're, I mean, we're, some of these bulls we're at was like 4,000 oh, feet. It gets hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now meat preservation is a huge issue. Yep. And that, and I really don't want to spend the $2,500 on a helicopter. No way. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, cool. That sounds like a, a heck of a season plan. Yeah. Um, so for just a quick minute here, I had a heck of a podcast already, but um, so talk to us a little bit about built for the hunt, um, what the idea behind that is and how folks can, uh, kind of with respect to their fitness goals and fitness needs work with you guys. Yeah. So, um, excuse me. So built for the hunt is a company we started about a year and a half ago. Actually the blueprints of it probably started three years ago. Okay. And we took the design. Well, nowadays there's so much fitness and supplements and nutrition plans and everything that are tailored towards the outdoorsman. And, um, and we went and we, we went around, we talked to a bunch of guides. And like I said, with this guide in Wyoming, half of the time, some of those guys will spend four, five, six, ten thousand $10,000 on a hunt and they'll get out there and after day two, they can't like, make it. Yeah, they're trying to mail it in. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't know about you, but I'm broke. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't make a lot of money. So when it comes into it, if I'm going to spend that kind of money on it, it doesn't matter how good your gear is. If right. your body is not in shape to go in there and make that hunt, then it's... I mean, you're just not going to be able to pull it off. Right. And then you're going to regret it. Right. And be upset. The yep. wife's going to be upset. Right. Yeah. The we wife spent is... all this money. Yeah. The wife probably issue. more than anything. Right. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Exactly. Right? And uh, <laughs> the, uh, so we started reaching out to different trainers and everything. And, and um, one of my ties is to the guy who originally founded bodybuilding.com. Okay. Because of all this because all this stuff was going on, because of what we were getting the feedback from guides and everything, and all of the supplement and trainers and everything in the hunting industry all direct to consumer, right. there was nowhere where somebody could go and look at all the different brands and Have everything a else. Place for it. Yeah, yeah, so the one-stop shop kind of a thing. And uh, so I was like, you know what, if I don't do it, then somebody else is going to, exactly. and I'm gonna forever be upset about myself. Right. That. So, we pulled it off. We started by calling a couple of the different brands and, and working with them. And they said, you know what, that, that's a great idea. And the other the other thing about it too is, um, and my issue is and it, not necessarily in the hunting and the outdoor industry, but in the, the fitness and supplement industry in general, right. a lot of the information that you're fed is not, it's not, it's I wouldn't not say vetted truthful. very well, right? Right. So, so they'll go in and, and they might take like a, half a sentence out of a study that was done 10 years ago that that makes something look good right and, and this is something thing you're with, putting into your body right yeah. well even from a fitness standpoint mm-hmm. like i throw a fit all the time because people will ask me they're like well i want to lose fat and i want to gain muscle i'm like well you can't do them both right. at once right and people are like no that's what i've been that's what my trainer says i'm like no no that's not how it works scientifically <laughs> sci- i mean you could probably do it but it's going to be illegal Right. So <laughs> to do it the right way, yeah, you, you have to you have to do There's one of the There's something called a caloric deficit and a caloric yeah. surplus, right? <clears throat> one, yeah. and what's misleading is a lot of people when you start to gain muscle, you look bigger, and if you're doing it right, your body fat percentage goes down, uh-huh. and so the concept of that idea doesn't work for people. They're like, well, I lost fat, 
I'm like, no, you lost a percentage of fat. Right. But you, you still have the same amount of fat. Right. It's just like if you were like grinding up meat, uh-huh. if you're your own butcher. Right. If you add an extra pound of like lean meat into your Right, the your percentage fat, goes down. Correct. The fat stays the same. Correct. Yeah. So we do a lot of a lot of different stuff where I'm trying to we work with registered dietitians only and we do some nutrition stuff but it's going to be everybody has to be certified we do a vetting process just for anybody to write content on okay. our website cool. yeah because i want to make sure that people are actually getting the right idea and then for an outdoorsman standpoint we like we're basically like a different breed of athlete mm-hmm. so to speak and you don't have to have a six pack or anything to go hunting but trying to Make sure that your body's prepared for it, like both physically and mentally. Well, yeah, there's different ways to train your body, right? So, right. and just, everybody's different. Yeah, and not one plan is going to work for everybody. And right. so we, and the other thing about it too is we we preach the mental side of things because if you if you have enough like um, discipline to make sure that you're cooking and eating properly and that you're going to the gym and some of those other things, then right you're going to have a better better like mental strength before you go into these hunts anyways. Exactly. And mentally that's your biggest issue on those those hunts is cuz I mean even during that hunt I was throwing a fit and I was being a baby because I hadn't seen anything it was raining and it was going to challenge me in every way shape right. or form. Right. And then blowing a stock on him twice. Right. Brandon's on the phone. Uh, oh Brandon's on the phone. Sorry. Um Sorry. Oh, it's all good, man. Yeah, another customer looking for some help with the old Acubo. He's trying to turn that on real quick. Sorry. Um, But, yeah, so we kind of work like that. So it's the other thing is when we got other, like, supplement brands and everything involved, we reached out to ones that are actually in the the main supplement fitness side of things that you see all the time. And and we wanted to work with companies that only support, that do support like the outdoor, the hunting, the the second amendment, those Mm -hmm. sort of things, which surprisingly enough is really difficult. Um, We've talked to dozens of brands that are in the fitness or the supplement side, like the the big side, right? And they won't talk to us. They They're won't work with us. The, the idea of the Second Amendment or guns and, and hunting, oh, you kill animals, and it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, you're posting about how you're eating, yeah, you're steak eating and burger and everything. <laughs> Someone's like that. killing those animals that you're eating, people. Right, exactly. Yeah. But they won't. But as far as like doing it on our own, yeah. like being that side of things, they won't work Just with they us. They don't understand. Yeah. It. Huh. So there's there's a number of different brands that we talk. You'd be surprised. Yeah. And, um, so we do have about 15 different brands that we offer, okay. and we have like portals and everything on the website where, you know, you select your gender, you select your age, you select your goal, right. and then we're going to roll out different like options, some different products yeah. for you. Yeah. And, and so you can see reviews and yeah. right. So it's a, a lot of it is online based, but we are doing a bunch of we've done a couple trade shows. Yep. We just did the NRA show out in Harrisburg. We have the World Deer Classic in Iowa coming up. All right. um, we have the, there's one in Nampa. I think we're actually going to go all the way down to uh, the World Deer Expo in Alabama this year. All right. And, uh, is that we'll in April? Uh, March? No, that's going to be in July. Oh, is it in the summer? Yeah, oh, okay. July like 17th through the 20th. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we have some archery shoots where I actually got to make a phone call today to somebody to sponsor uh, an archery shoot on. Uh, Lake Tahoe this year. It's the oh, first time they've ever had one out sweet. there. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. I love Lake Tahoe, and if every shot is facing the lake, I'm happy about it. So, <laughs> That's a good view. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, that, so yeah, we, we built the platform to kind of be like a go go all for everybody. And we, the biggest thing is is earning your trust because yeah. we want to make sure that, that the content that's out there isn't just – because I, I'm not 
we're not partial to one brand or anything else, and we actually we refuse to take money from brands to promote one brand over the other, right. which is not what you see on other portals. Right. Um, you want it, objectivity. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I'm not playing a bias here. I'm I'm actually telling people, hey, like if this is your goal and this is what you want, then we need to go this route instead of this route. Yeah. Or maybe you you might need to buy like three different products from different brands. Right. right. Sometimes people can't gather that. It's nice either. to have the ability to do that. Right. And still have one box getting shipped to you. Right. right. And we do we do. Um, Free shipping on all supplements oh, on that sweet. side too, yeah. and then we're we're actually going to start this year. We're working with a whole bunch of outfitters that when when people buy their hunts, they Love send them it. to us, and we have yeah. personal trainers that go through and, and they'll customize a plan for Love people it. for those yeah. hunts, which would be nice. So yeah, dude, we got to talk more about that. We got to get those people some apps too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we do need an app, yeah. so that'll that'll be in the works. Yeah. I'm sure. Cool. <clears throat> and eventually, I think. I just moved back to Idaho because I've been on the road for 15 years. Yeah. And, um, we uh, so we're going to launch a headquarters there. There'll be like a, um, a facility for people to come. We can actually host like different training classes Man, and everything else. Cool. So it's it's yeah. it's in the works. It's moving probably faster than my head can spin. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. As much, yeah. It'll move <laughs> as fast as you've got time in the day to work on it. Huh? Unfortunately, there's not enough. Yeah. I hear you on that. I don't. Sleep. So. Website is what? Builtforthehunt.com. So and the number four. The number four. That's okay. the big thing. Because, yeah. I mean, if you Googled it and put the FOR, you probably get SEO there. SEO will get you there. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, Built, the number four, the hunt. The okay. hunt.com. And See. then we have apparel, gear. We have different, like, um, <clears throat> training gear and supplies. Like, one of the big ones that we do is, like, a, a weighted training vest. Oh, yeah. Um, because that's... You know, if you got to throw a pack on every time you're trying to go out there to the gym yeah. or anything like that, it doesn't work that very well. The training vest works great, and then we do, depending on the different times of year, we'll we'll offer different training plans for free. Okay. There are a number of different plans up there right now for free. Oh, and then sweet. We'll have um, different meal like meal guides, but mm -hmm. it'll basically be on one specific person. Like I'm about to open one up for me because like I'm six foot two hundred pounds, and I'm trying to get to about two fifteen before I start cutting yep. for the hunt. Yep. And so we'll go into my specific meal plan, which is about 3,800 calories a day. Uh -huh. People are going to hear this on the podcast and be like, wait, it's like 3,800? <laughs> pretty, clean, pretty clean right. calories there, right? Right. Well, yeah. for the most part, yeah. yeah. Which is tough because you got to eat a lot. Right. And then um, we go, there's like articles in there about altitude sickness and different products there. Yeah, we I was going to ask you about that. We got a lot of folks on the podcast that are from lower elevation trying to right. train for elk hunts out here. Uh, do you have some elevation training stuff too? Or? We have some elevation training, but you know, it's it's less about elevation training yeah. than it is about your nutrition. And people uh, are going to be like, wait a second, what? Yeah. It's So one of the big ones is eating a lot of like green vegetables okay. or taking like a greens supplement. Yep. Because a lot of us, especially hunters, we're steak and potatoes guys. Right. We don't take yeah. all those greens in. You know, asparagus just doesn't look very appetizing sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, less or like fried. spinach yeah. or something like that. Yeah, less is fried. <laughs> And the thing about like dark green vegetables is it actually is there's a lot of iron in it, mm -hmm. and iron increases your red blood cell count, which then in turn like helps carry oxygen. Yep, it helps carry oxygen. It gets everything that you're doing, especially in those lower or those higher elevations where your oxygen level is, is less. Right. So right. we have some of that, and then we talk about we'll do videos and everything. We do have articles up about how many calories you actually burn when you're hunting. Right. People, you'll see people do these gear guides all the time, and they'll say like, "Well, I'm taking in 2,500 or 3,000 calories for this." a day and when we did the math and we calculated it out like on my hunt I'm 
I'm burning between like 7,500 and 9,000 right. calories. Right, you need a lot I of food. I can't eat that much. Yeah, you can. You can't carry that much food, <laughs> but you probably ought to have a little bit more than 2,500 a day. I, I carry yeah. roughly three pounds of food a day. Okay. And I don't always eat it all, but I do my best because especially if you're going on longer hunts the more you actually eat the more energy you're yeah, gonna have if you want to be your best self out there you, you see gotta, people burn out after two or three days right. and it's because they're eating they're burning more than double what they're taking yeah in. well not physical fatigue it turns into mental fatigue pretty quick right and people and at some point and a lot of people will probably love this but when you go in the backcountry sometimes it's just junk food it's like yeah. you put the calories in your body you're gonna burn them off <laughs> and uh <clears throat> sometimes you got to go that route yeah but yeah it's uh so yeah, built for the hunt, and that's that's kind of the route we're going. We just signed another couple um, trainers and dietitians, and right, um, and we should have a ton of content coming up, especially as we get closer to the summer and we have all those archery shoots and everything happen. So man, that's good. sweet. Well, we hope to keep in touch with you over the course of the summer. Um, yep. Obviously, hunting and fitness is something that I care a lot about, and and our team cares a lot about. So uh, appreciate what you're doing. And, yeah, thanks, man. And well, now that you're back in Idaho too, or in Boise area, now, yeah, so now we'll we can definitely get out and shoot and, the bow and work out and maybe we'll do some like group event or something oh, like that that'd be awesome man get some people out yeah now we do an elk calling seminar every summer and do you do something around that yeah i mean i'll come out and you guys can hear how bad i sound sometimes <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not too bad i have to work on that like chuckle at the end sometimes yeah. i get a little excited i hear quick. you man yeah so, patience on that one yeah no it's all good well thanks a bunch for being available <laughs> yeah. today and thanks for having me yeah we'll uh we'll uh look forward to catching up with you again soon awesome sounds good all right thanks guys